stuck my Bible up in the pulpit this morning and didn't get to walk up with it like Brett does. So I do have a Bible, and it is right here. See? And it is an ESV, just in case you were wondering. Where the sermon passage today is Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. And there is no shame if you need to look in the table of contents uh, to find that book amidst the minor prophets. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 790, 790. And when you find it, I'll give you a little, a few more seconds. When you find it, you can stand and we'll read God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, said the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, your word is sure and powerful. It is sharp, sharper than anything that we know. It is able to cut to the depths that we can't even know. And you are able to, at the same time, convict and comfort us with one word from your mouth. You have given us your word, and it drips with life, with honey for our souls. God, many of us have come weary, discouraged, perhaps even despairing. And I ask that you would, you would reveal and open your word to us and show us how you look at your children, those who have been born again by the Spirit and have been cleansed of their sin by Jesus Christ. I ask that you would minister to our hearts as only you can by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How does a passage like Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20 land on you? When you consider God's disposition toward you, is He smiling from the depths of His love? Think about it. When you consider how God normally looks at you or how you feel like He's normally looking at you, is it overwhelming gladness toward you? 
Do you have a hard time believing that God has a settled gladness toward you? Do you feel like His smile over you is just too hidden and barely peeks out at times? I want to focus on verse 17 for a second. Look at verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with quiet singing. No, loud singing. There's some heavy emphasis on His singing here. It's loud and it's joyful and it's gladness. Is that how you felt this week? Is that how you felt this month? Maybe the past several months? He rejoices over you with gladness. He quiets me with His love. He exalts over me with loud singing to the degree that it drowns out everything else that I hear. Do you feel like His smile is on you? Or have you had more uh, Psalm 73, 26 times? Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail or are failing. Psalm 73, 26 describes someone who is spent and at the end of the rope, they're exhausted and they're done. Their physical body, their flesh is fatigued or weakened perhaps sluggish, even shutting down. And their emotions, their mind, and their spiritual heart is discouraged, burnt out, maybe even despairing. Does that describe you better? What is it that drives you to discouragement or despair? Think about it. Is it that you won't have true intimacy in your marriage? Or that your spiritual care for your children will never bear fruit? That the darkness of your soul will not lift? Or that your days will be cloaked in loneliness? That besetting sins will never be brought under submission? That this church may wither away? That your efforts to share the gospel will be fruitless? Or that the repetitive banality of your life will choke out any remnant of adventure and zeal that remains. Maybe that your expectations for your life or the life of others or even for God won't be met. That your life will be wasted in the mire of the trivial. Or that God will never defeat the demonic evil of abortion. That with all this wicked, there is even a God who sees. Our response to a text like this, whenever we're in the midst of despair and despondency even, could be, particularly us, could be, I trust a sovereign God and know He has planned all this mess that He's going to bring about today. Everything that's going to happen to me, He brought it about, and you're going to say, He smiles through these things to me? This is him loudly singing over me, all this mess. If that's what you or the Bible is saying, then at best God is disconnected from and insensitive to my internal turmoil produced by what God has ordained. 
And at worst, he's mean, and let's just not go there. You're right. There is a lot to despair in this life, is there not? Your situation is difficult, no doubt. But do you wonder what the people who heard the word of Zephaniah might have been going through? What was their situation like? Zephaniah prophesied at a time when Judah was about to go into exile under the judging hand of God. God was going to do it. And if you remember, Judah was a small southern group of the Israelites from whom the Messiah was to come. So they had a lot to brag about, right? God, the Messiah is coming from us. What's going on here? Your hand's ordaining all this? It doesn't sound like loud singing. Well, Zephaniah had a message for two groups. This is important to know. Because it's, I think we often are, we see a lot of things in the Bible and, and we're not able to make sense of where they go. Where, what category are they in? Well, there's one group that he spoke to and it was the wicked, the idolatrous. And he's speaking a word of violent judgment against those who rejected God's sovereign rule. The wicked or idolatrous people have hardened minds and veiled, veiled eyes who do not see God. And they strutted around with proud, complacent hearts due to their sin. Look how his prophecy starts in 1-1. Flip back a, a page. In 1-1, he says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, the Lord declares. He says, man and beast, birds, fish, and all the wicked of mankind. It kind of leaves you nowhere to work up to. Everything, gone, all the wicked. Now there's a second group that Zephaniah is giving a word from the Lord to. It's the remnant. The remnant of Israel are those who were born again by the Spirit of God, and they trusted in the coming Messiah, the Savior who would come to reconcile them to God, just as it had been promised way before to them. You know, when Adam and Eve fell. They are the chosen elect of God from before the foundation of the world. Not because of anything that they had done that they could boast in, but solely because God set His affection on them. They were a people within a people. You can imagine how it would have looked like to them that God was hiding and out of plain view and far from them. Consider their situation. They had already seen their fellow Israelites to the north brutally dragged into captivity and their own ejection from their homeland was imminent. They were under attack by the enemies of God. They were strong, dominant world powers. Babylon, Assyria, Moab, Egypt. And God was going to use these people to judge them. All the wicked around them. They were oppressed by evildoers under the guidance of Satan. Their own political and spiritual leadership was corrupt. They were laughed at by the ungodly. Their families were being ravished ruthlessly. They were all but certain that the devil had won. They seemed to be rejected by God and under His judgment. They were ashamed, outcasts, 
and scattered without rest. You can almost hear Zephaniah's cousin, Bubaniah, <laughs> saying, God, if this is hide and go seek, well, you found the best spot. It's that bad. God is very hidden, it could seem, from them. Can you imagine waking up every day to this miserable situation? Some believers on the route around the world do. And perhaps you feel like it. As bad as their situation was, how do you think they would have felt hearing Zephaniah 3.17 from God? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This whole passage, for that matter, Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20, is a hymn of praise. God is telling the people to worship and give thanks even in the throes of war, unrest, and injustice. Is that a message that you need to hear? Sing aloud, rejoice, and exult with all your heart. God isn't telling them to detach naively from their surroundings from the reality that they are in and give empty praise from discontented hearts. Rather, he's telling them, take an honest appraisal of the situation. Things are very messy in this life. In our flesh, the world and the devil are at war with us. However, God reigns. Jesus overcame. And the Spirit is with us and nothing can hinder God's joy for His people. You see, God is calling for a contented joy based squarely on a joyful and unstoppable God. Look at Zephaniah 3.16 there. Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. Just, for, just like for the remnant then, in the midst of our lives, when fear and despair prevail in our hearts, we are nearly lifeless and often void of the will to carry on and carry out the mission of God. But when confident hope animates us, there is vigor in the whole body so that eagerness appear, appears everywhere. God doesn't free us from troubles and despair so that we'll grow stagnant in our pleasures, but that we will be attentive to our productive joy in Him. You know, our soul expands or contracts to the size and quality of its pleasures. Our soul expands or contracts to the size and quality of its pleasures. Through the troubles, God who indwells you by His Spirit is becoming in your heart and mind your evident strength, your tangible Savior, your fierce warrior, and your winsome rescuer. God doesn't reveal Himself as strong in your life so that He might debilitate you or turn off your will to persevere. He shows His strength and He acts so that He may persevere you. And Ephesians 3.10 says, display His might. and Display Himself mighty to all who exist. God knows His elect and through Zephaniah is giving them a sure word of His joy and gladness over them. Even while the nations rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and His anointed and their world looked as though it had been consumed by chaos, God is telling them that His smile is on them even if they don't see it. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, God's smile is on you, even if you don't see it. If you are part of the remnant, the elect, those who the New Testament calls the church, or those who are in union with Christ, you are a people who God calls to Himself, and you have heard His voice and have believed on Him. You have been born by the Spirit of God and given new hearts and minds to love God. You are in the family of God, and you have been judged. You were judged guilty, but pardoned in Christ. So now God looks at you with unimaginable love and joy. How do we know? How do we know that? Well, he says so. His word is filled with encouragement for the faint-hearted. Its pages drip with medicine for the weary soul. From the word bounds head-lifting, eye-opening, heart-reviving, encouragement for the spirit that the spirit of god turns before your eyes and he takes into your mind and he presses into your heart for your joy the apostle paul in first thessalonians 5:14 says encourage the faint hearted and that's what god is wanting to do for you today he wants to encourage you who are faint hearted we want to look at uh, six examples of God's hidden smile revealed in plain sight in His Word. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. We don't even, I'm not even looking at where God shows in Romans 1.20 where His uh, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, uh, perceived in the things that He has made. So we're not going to look at that, but we're going to look particularly at... Um, a few other things. The first thing that we want to look at, first example of God's hidden smile revealed in plain sight is what Revelation 13.8 says. God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world if you are united with Christ. It's easy to pass over a statement like that without being deeply affected by it. I think we do that very often. Paul thinks it's pretty important, though. And let's look at two passages to see how important he thinks it is, that God would write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. If you want to turn with me to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, just try to save a place there in Zephaniah 3. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Verse 3, it says, And hear this directly to you, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God. These are gospel truths. God has blessed us, blessed you. All the elect are, is a number of people, and you are one of those people. So these truths are directly toward you if you are in Christ. So hear them as such. It's easy to generalize a lot of the truths and the promises, but they are for you. God has blessed us, you, in Christ, with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means none are missing. He didn't, he didn't leave some behind. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Even as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Why? According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Look at that. There's a mystery revealed. He's made known to us what was hidden in the secret places. Why? Because he set it forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Why? To unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that you who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I mean, you could spend years meditating on that passage. Paul thinks it's extremely important that God wrote your name in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And he's just waxing eloquently here on how important that is. He does it elsewhere. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 7 to uh, 12. First Corinthians 2, 7 says... But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. There were some who don't see it, though. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. Your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard the glory is this great, and your heart can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. You can't fathom it. You can't exhaust it. And guess what? He hid them so that you would never see them. That's not what the text says. It says these things... God has revealed to us by the Spirit. Why? That we may understand the, the things freely given to us by God. Things decreed in the past and brought about now. This mystery hidden to many, but revealed to you. These are unimaginable, unimaginably glorious things in the depths of God's wisdom. You can't imagine what He has in store for you today and tomorrow, and the next day, and every day. Before he began speaking the world into existence, he was thinking about you and these things that he was going to plan for you. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit meticulously mapped out and decreed his plan of love for his elect. And that means you, if you're in Christ. So the first thing is, God wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. That should be encouraging. At least Paul thinks so. The second, God joyfully made you 
and knows you intimately. So before time began, God looked at his son with great love and he said, son, I'm going to give you a gift and I'm going to express my, my fullness to them. And then I'm going to create them. And that's what creation is. God takes six days and he fashions the world and he prepares a place for those who he gave to the son before he began creating. And on the sixth day and final day of his creation, at the pinnacle of his creative work, God crowned creation with his image, man, and he blessed them. Psalm 139, 13 to 18. You don't have to look there, but you can write it down if you want to look later. David, in reflecting on God and his creation, and he's creating David in particular, said he knows everything about everyone, and he looks on his elect with never-ending love. In this way, he planned your days. He intricately wove you together in your mother's womb. He fashioned you, and you were fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who was very happy. And look what David does here. You don't have to turn there, but David's soul feeds on this perspective from God, and he bursts out into thanksgiving. In verse 14, he says, Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they're more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Can you imagine waking up every morning with this perspective? Every day you wake up and God is there and he enthusiastically says, I was waiting for you to get up. I've been up all night. I didn't sleep or slumber. I prayed for you all night. I watched out for you. I sent angels to protect you. And the Spirit will be with you today to comfort you. I saw every dream that you had, and I'm not worried. And I know everything that's planned for you today, and I'm not confused. I know everything about everything that exists, and I have unimaginable mercies for you today. And even though it may seem, I may seem hidden in some of what happens, look through them and trust me. I'm for you and love you. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that He, did, that he planned when. He prepared for us before the foundation of the world. You're, you're made for good works. You may say, okay, but what about my sin? Is He glad about that? Well, that brings us to our third point. Good question. Um... While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. That's what Romans 5, 8 says. In, in Genesis 3, we see a comprehensive fall. Everything changed. Our relationship with God, with each other, with the natural world. But God promised comprehensive recreation through His Son, who would set all things to right through His own substitutionary sacrifice. He substituted himself in our place. Remember, it's the Lamb's book of life. 
the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And know this, God can simultaneously look at his yet-to-be-saved elect as heinous sinner deserving judgment and beloved bride made spotless in Christ. That's for the yet-to-be-saved elect. He can simultaneously look at the same person this way. And when he graciously takes away, as Zephaniah 3.15 says, the judgments against you, it's finished. There's no more wrath to pour out because Jesus drank the whole cup and he dried it out with his robe. That's why God tells us, tells his beloved in Zephaniah 3.16, the King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. He is singing over you and you shall never again fear evil. Zephaniah 3.17. Now, our context might be a little more clear. Yahweh is with you. God is with you. A mighty one who will save. He is a husband who will rejoice over you with gladness and quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Your status as beloved bride made spotless in Christ is saddled in God's mind. Is it in yours? Paul in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Why? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, radiant, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus accomplished in the cross and resurrection, Jesus' accomplishment in the cross and resurrection is proof positive that there has never been any lover so infatuated with his bride, so capable of her protection, so generous toward her need, so forgiving of her adultery, so gentle in her brokenness, and so sympathetic in her weakness. Jesus' love for his bride is just scandalous. Paul, thinking on this again in Romans 8, 31 and 32, says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not graciously give us all things in Christ? Now, God does discipline us when he sin, but it's a judgment-free discipline toward his beloved bride made spotless in Christ. The fourth way that God has revealed himself, he has hidden himself but made himself known, is that Jesus reigns and intercedes for you now. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God to him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. We don't always see it clearly. We look at the waves around us. But even when our faith fails, Jesus does not. He prays to the Father, always a praying to God's will. John 17, 24 to 27 is one of Jesus' prayers. And he says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given to me, remember before the foundation of the world, 
that they may be with me where I am. He desires for you to be with Him. To see His glory that God gave the Son because you loved Him. He says, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Ephesians 3, 7 through 12 says, To me this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why? To bring to light, light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, through you, as Jesus reigns in us, the manifold wisdom of God might now, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness, confident joy and access uh, with confidence through faith in him. And the fifth way that God has made his smile toward you plainly evident is that he is thrilled to keep every promise given you. Um, he is thrilled to keep every promise to you given you by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, it's the tail end of the passage that we just read. These things God has revealed to us to the spirit that we might, through the Spirit, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. God has given the Spirit so that we would understand and perceive the unimaginable things that He has for us. We can't comprehend them in and of ourselves. We have to have God Himself displaying and keeping our minds and our hearts set on Him. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, we are all for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into, the, into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. It's during this trying time, this time now in this present age, as we wait for Christ's return, that He is revealing His plan of love for you. Finally, number six, Christ will come again for you. Back in Zephaniah 3.18, Zephaniah 3.18 starts and says, He is gathering all who mourn for the festival. As they were going through captivity and as they were scattered by God and away from Him in the enemy nation, they could not perform their festival celebrations. Do you remember what those were? They all pointed to this comprehensive deliverance that God would bring for His people and judgment upon their enemies, including... So all these, these are the festival celebrations that pointed to deliverance, including the coming of a savior, warrior, prophet, priest, king, who is a husband, 
who would atone for the sins of his people and reconcile them to, to God and make them a treasured, spotless bride. Take them to a promised home he had created for them and abundantly supply every need forever. This is what Brett is preaching through in John. This is Jesus coming and showing. I'll supply every one of your needs abundantly, more than you can even hope and ask. They have reason to mourn, though. Judging by their circumstances, remember, they couldn't keep their festival celebration. And judging by the circumstances, it appears that God's salvation isn't near and the restoration of all things is just so far away. However, God, knowing the hearts of, in, of His people, encourages them with this. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. This is verse 19. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Verse 20. And at that time I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, said the Lord. Jeremiah was prophesying about the same time. And he says this. God gave him this message about these same remnant and what would happen in the end of days at the day of the Lord. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land with faithfulness, with all my heart and all my soul. Brothers and sisters, even while your heart and mind and bodies carry the effects of the fall, and you live in a land that is not abiding, and though all of this, and through all of this, God's smile looks hidden, Jesus has this to tell you in, verse, in John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Since before the foundation of the world, Christ has looked to his bride. He has come for her, accomplishing her salvation, and he will come again. Uh, I, got a, I found a message that, God, that uh, Jesus left for, uh, for us for, with one of his friends, and it's in Revelation 21, and it says this. This is one of his best friends that he wanted to leave a message uh, with him for us. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, that's the elect, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and, he, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Everything that is reason to despair and be discouraged. He wipes away every one of those, those tears from your eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who seated on the throne said, Behold, 
I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. It's done. If you are united to Christ, God's smile is on you, even if you don't see it. And friends, if you have heard this sermon today and never known a God whose smile is upon you, if you've always felt like God's judgment and judgment alone was upon you, then after the service, the the elders will be standing up here. Please, come talk to them. They would love to tell you about a God who can smile on people who deserve eternal conscious torment in hell. God stands ready to receive you and give you unimaginable joys and pleasures from His right hand. In closing, I'll say, Redeemer, brothers and sisters, those who are united to Christ, though enemies assail and the devil accuse, and God seem far off and life amuse, nothing will hinder God's present smile. His relief is certain as the cross is final. Let's pray. God, help us. God, help our unbelief. Let us drink deeply from your word. You have revealed yourself so kindly to us. We're so distracted by the flesh and this world and the devil. We're so weak and we desperately need to know you more nearly and follow you more closely. God, I pray that as as we go out today, that you will give us zeal and a hunger to know your word and to read it and to feast upon what you have said for us and what you have said about us so that we won't listen to our hearts, but we would speak to them with your word so that we wouldn't listen to the flesh, but we would rebuke it with your word and so that we wouldn't be condemned by the accusations of the devil, but we would rebuke the devil by the finished work of Christ in our place. God, help us today. Help us all of our days to feast upon you. That our, our, our capacity for joy would grow as we, as we enjoy you and we take pleasure in you and not the things of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.